There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But an angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Thank you, Sydney. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Awesome. You know, I wait for that moment uh, all year long. That moment when I get to say those words to you, and you get to say those words back to me, and one courageous voice, and I wait for it every year. But this year, I've longed for it, because it's been a year since I've heard you say it. And last year, I was in front of a screen, and Isaac Terwilliger just doesn't sound as good as you all. <laughs> it's been a long year, and we've 
I've been on a long road of suffering and doubt. We feel our relationships are more fragile than they've ever been before. The, the future of our country, all of us look ahead and we don't know what to expect. Everything feels so uncertain. I'm so glad to share the good news with you today. Are you ready to hear it? Here it is. Uh, before we get into this, the scene involving the empty tomb and the resurrection, I want us to appreciate where the women were at, just their headspace, before they went to the tomb. So this is the scene. Jesus has just yelled out. He, he's breathed out his last. And who is there watching him die? Many women, it says. Verse 55, And there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee. That's where the whole thing started. They were there the whole time. Ministering to Him. Think about how intimate it is to watch a man die. And He can see you. And you can see Him. And you're ministering to Him. Here's the question. Where were, where were the brothers? Where were the guys? Uh, they had bailed on Jesus uh, long ago in the garden. And it's so significant to see that the disciples all along have been this large co-ed group of men and women with a very specific group of women having been ministering to Jesus. And they followed Jesus from the beginning and they followed Him longer than the men. And here they are, the faithful ones. And it's their eyewitness testimony that we have. It's why we know what happened in these stories. We don't know it from Peter or, or Zebedee's sons. And who are Zebedee's sons? James and John. James and John weren't there, but their mom was. It tells us. Mom stayed the whole time, as moms tend to do. She was faithful, and Matthew highlights them And now, uh, not only does he say that maybe the main characters we thought were the the most faithful disciples weren't, but he he levels a punchline. The truest disciples were the ones we barely noticed. So you have these women, but they're not the only ones active during this time. You also have Joseph of Arimathea. Now we know a couple things about him. We know where he's from. And from the text, we know that he's rich. He's banking. And that's interesting. Because if you walk away from Jesus' teaching about wealth, you'd think, there's no way there's going to be a really wealthy man following Jesus. Camels going through an eye of a needle, right? Uh, It's easier for a wealthy person it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to follow jesus well apparently camels go through the eye of needles and god's pretty gracious because here is this rich man who at some point had become a disciple of jesus and at the at the end here he is leveraging all his wealth 
to bring honor to Jesus. This guy who had built a a super fancy tomb for his family, and instead of using it for himself, honors Jesus by burying him. Just surprising people here at the end. And I love that because even at Jesus' death, God has this way of highlighting the people who are on the margins and bringing them to the center and exalting His grace and His mercy. But what are these surprising disciples doing? They're mourning. They're preparing for a burial. They're making preparations for Jesus after He died. And we know what that's like. Have you experienced that? The grief and sadness of sitting in a funeral home? Picking out the casket? Sitting with the minister, picking out the songs for the funeral service? Going through the old photo album? You know, looking at the pictures for the slideshow? It's a heart-wrenching and emotional time. Making funeral arrangements and then visiting the grave of someone they've lost. That's what's going on here. And it's an experience that would have been uh, intensified because Jesus was just murdered. And they had watched him. And he was murdered at the hands of Rome. This wouldn't have been the first crucifixion that these women would have seen. Um, And it wouldn't be the last. Rome crucified thousands of people. When Rome sacked Jerusalem uh, 40 years after that, we're told that they crucified 500 people a day. Rome was what Jesus was, what his kingdom of life and love was supposed to overcome and turn upside down. Rome represented all that was wrong in the world and what Jesus was, was supposed to be against in their mind. And now, here's Jesus, crushed by the machine. And if that wasn't enough, the same powers that conspired to murder Jesus are now out there trying to ensure that He remains dead. Verses 62 to 66. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. And so they sealed the tomb and they set a guard and they did everything in their power to suck all of any remaining hope and power from this fledgling kingdom movement that Jesus had started. Imagine grieving and going to the tomb and grieving in front of the ones who murdered your friends. And the tomb is sealed as if the big stone wouldn't have been enough. And so you're one of these Marys. Put yourself in their shoes. It's good for you guys. 
the gals have to put themselves in the shoes of the guy disciples all the time. And you've been following Jesus for years. And he's the hope of your life and the hope of salvation for you and your people. And now your hope has been buried in the grave. That's your headspace as you go to the tomb in the morning. Are you with me? Now, some kid just said, yeah. Good job, Nora. (laughs) Now, after the Sabbath, this is verse 1 of chapter 28. Towards the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So many Marys. I love the details here because everything up to this point in Jesus' passion has been in the dark. Physical darkness, dark circumstances, darkened understandings, but it's at the dawn of a new day. New light is about to break in. Verse 2. And behold! I love the and behold. And behold! There was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and did what? Sat on it. (laughs) His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So there was an earthquake and there was an angel. Now earthquakes and angels aren't commonplace in the scriptures. In fact, they're pretty rare. And they tend to accompany those events that shake the world up. That change things forever. In chapter 24, Jesus had talked about coming earthquakes like holy contractions. As if the world is, is in the pain of labor, waiting for a moment of new birth and new life. And Matthew told us that there was an earthquake at the cross and then here at the resurrection. And uh, the old commentator, Matthew Henry, put it like this. It's good. He said, when Jesus died, the earth received him and shook for fear. Now that he rose, the earth resigned him and leaped for joy. Something's happening. And along with the earthquake, there's an angel. And if you only come to church on Christmas and Easter, you think there's an angel on every page of the Bible. But there's not. They're actually pretty rare. There have been no angels in the book of Matthew since the birth of Jesus. When they came and announced his birth and they announced the one who would, who would be the savior of his people. And now at the end, an angel has come to say that the work has been done. And there's a new birth happening. Uh, he were just, the creature is described uh, in in what it like lightning clothing as white as snow this is what god looks like in these heavenly throne room scenes in the prophet it's an angel but he's dressed up like god heaven is somehow in a very real way breaking into earth 
It's actually what Matthew asked us to pray for. You remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven coming to earth, the will of heaven being done on earth. This is, Matthew's been tracking with that. Matthew uses the word heaven more than any other biblical author, 70 times in his gospel. Jesus proclaims the kingdom of heaven. He he tells his disciples about their father in heaven. He speaks of the angels in heaven. He ensures his disciples that what they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. According to Matthew, the story of Jesus is the story about heaven coming to earth and the, the will of heaven invading earth. And when that happens, the powers of earth are shaken. So it's not just the earth that's shaking in our passage. Look at the response of the guards. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. It's the same word that was used in the verse before. There was an earthquake, and then there was a man quake. They trembled, and they became like what? Dead men. Literally in the Greek, Greek corpses. Note the irony that the guards who are there to guard the corpse themselves become corpses while the one they're guarding is very much alive. Not everyone who seems alive is. Not everyone we think is dead is. And then look at the stone. The sealed stone, which represented, remember, the best efforts of Rome to keep the grave shut. Large stones are used to build temples and towers and city walls and skyscrapers and fortresses. And so Jesus' grave is locked tight like a fortress But when heaven invades earth, the stone is pushed away like a feather and an angel dressed up like God uses it as a throne. Guess who's really in charge? What a thing to see. No wonder the guard's knees are shaken. The angel doesn't have anything to say to the guards. He speaks to the women. Verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The announcement of the angel has four parts. First, what's the thing an angel always says? Don't be afraid. Which is like, sheesh, crazy heavenly creature. But I guess we're not supposed to be afraid. Second, the angel calls attention to Jesus' prophecy. And says he's not here, he's risen just as he said. That Jesus had made these declarations about his death 
and his resurrection in all that it would accomplish. And the angel is saying, just as he said, it all came to pass. Everything that he said was true. And then the angel calls attention to the evidence. So don't fear. Everything he said is true. Go see for yourself. Look, it says, come, see the place where he lay. These were not, they weren't supposed to believe this on blind faith, apparently. And then we ask, well, why did the tomb open? Because it's very clear from verse 6 that Jesus was already out of there. The tomb was open, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the women could come in and see and investigate. It wasn't for his benefit. It was for theirs. This is an invitation from the gospel to always be asking and seeking and knocking. And some of you need to hear that again because you've been on the deconstruction journey during COVID. Amen. And you don't know where you're standing with your faith right now. Ask, seek, knock. The angel says, don't look in here. He doesn't say don't look in here. Angel says, don't just take it by faith. Don't ask any questions. Instead, the angel invites the women to check out the assertions with their senses. The Christian does not get a lobotomy when he or she makes a decision to be a disciple. Jesus wants his people to be honest, to think about their faith, and to be able to investigate its problems. And I am excited to do that with you. Choose at least one Christian voice in your life rather than 18 cynical podcasts on your journey to rebuild your faith. Let me be that partner for you. Come and see. Be asking, seeking, knocking. Then lastly, the angel just commissions the women. They're no longer fearing. They know that it's true. They've checked it out with their senses. Now go and tell and announce the resurrection. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. That's the angel's announcement. And we're told that that's exactly what they did. They departed quickly from the tomb. So they went inside, scoped it out. Now they're going. And they, they went with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. Apparently some fear remained, but it was mixed together with joy. And fear and joy is actually the only sensible reaction when we hear that Jesus is alive. We contrast that with the fear of the soldiers. They were three times afraid. They feared the earthquake, the angel, the punishment coming to them. But the women were four times joyful. The tomb was empty. He lives. Every word that he said was true. And the crowning joy of all joys, they get to see Jesus with their own eyes. Verse 8. Check this out. And behold... Jesus met them and said, Greetings, which is like the first century version of sup. It's like not formal at all. It's like, what up? I don't know. It's just gracious and tender and kind and kind of playful. And they come up and they took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, you know what's coming? Don't be afraid. Apparently that's important for us to know on Easter. 
said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my, disciples, my brothers to go to Galilee. There will, they, they will see me. Those sweet words again, don't be afraid. And then Jesus reiterates the instructions that the angel gave. Notice that he tells them to meet in Galilee. That's where everything started with his disciples. That's where he originally called them to follow him. And so Galilee is always the fresh start place. The place of new beginnings. So he's just not foretelling a a resurrection of the body, but of their walk with him. Gets to start over again. They get to start over again as disciples of Jesus, and he's going to use them again, despite their failure. They're going to be restored to relationship to him. And that's the story. They come in sadness and grief. And they end up running to Galilee in fearful joy to the fresh start place to meet the risen Jesus. Amen? These women woke up that morning thinking they knew what the world was about. They, think, they thought they knew about the world that they lived in. It was the world where might makes right, where Rome always has the upper hand where there's certain people on top and certain people on bottom and the machine always crushes people like Jesus. But then they met the risen Jesus. That must have been a moment for these women to rethink just about everything that they've experienced. Those who seem to be in power aren't the ones who are in power. And the ones who are dead are alive. And the ones who are alive are like corpses And the ones who rely on bombs and guns and intimidation are cowering. And the ones who are mourning are fearfully joyful. Running on new mission. It's like God's promise of an upside down world is already sneaking in to the old world. Women rather than disciples, men disciples are at the grave. Camels are going through the eye of needles and more importantly the place of death is being transformed into the place of life death is the big bad guy guys not Rome and if Jesus actually defeated death then he's defeated sin then he's somehow taken humanity's cycle of failure on to himself and somehow in his death and in his resurrection he's broken it forever And the promise for us, of course, is is just as he passed through death and was raised, if we believe in him, that will be our journey as well. And that that new birth starts now. Small birds of redemption shining through the cracks of the old way of things. But in the coming day, he will resolve all failure, all suffering. In such a way that the brokenness of the present must always be juxtaposed against the hope of the future. Because you see, for these women, in some ways, nothing has changed. They walk out of the tomb and they face a world in which Rome is still out there and Pilate is still out there. Suffering is coming from, for them. They, that is where they're headed. But... In some ways, everything has changed because when Jesus, their friend, was killed and buried in a tomb, all their hope went into the grave with him. And when he rose, hope rose with him. And their hope 
like Jesus himself, has been glorified. And and it's been made new. They weren't waiting for a political revolution anymore. They now knew that the whole cycle of chaos itself had somehow been disrupted. And that Jesus had somehow stormed the gates of death and hell. And that he returned with the keys. There was a bombing last week that targeted Christians on Palm Sunday. In the last few years, there's been such bombings on Easter as well. I pray that doesn't happen today. But in 2020, when the smoke cleared from St. Sebastian's Church in Sri Lanka, and the bodies of the peoples and families were buried, an old statue of the resurrected Jesus stood in the chapel, splattered from head to toe in the blood of those who had died there. And when the church cleared out the ash and the debris and the shrapnel, they took that statue and they put it on an altar in the sanctuary. And the people went right back inside to worship. Though it was splattered in the blood of their suffering, Jesus was still risen and nothing could stop Easter. The bombings had failed because he was dead and is now alive, and he holds the key to death itself. I guess I say that in kind of a defiant way, because Jesus isn't an idea. He's not a distant notion. He's not an abstraction. He's not your teacher. He's not your authentic self. He is the first and the last and the living one, and he was dead, and now he's rose again, and that changes everything. And so, yeah, we've suffered this year with our doubts and our confusion. We've suffered with illness and death, defigurement and disease. We've suffered in our families as we've seen them slowly falling apart. We've buried loved ones this year. We've suffered in the church with hurtful things inside and out. We've suffered as a nation and we've suffered these last weeks as remembering, as we've remembered the suffering of Jesus. And yet, you showed up this morning and we've taken the the blood-spattered wreckage of our lives, not just the pandemic, isolation and anxiety, but all the fear, all the shame, all the sin, all the doubt, And we take all of it and we put it at the altar of the church in mockery and in defiance of death. Even though we will go into the grave of suffering and death, we will not stay there. He is dead and now he is alive forever. And what I want to say to you, you beautiful people with your masks on, is today is your day. You are God's people. This is when you are at your most glorious and triumphant. To come here together and to say in one voice, He is risen. Let me pray.
We give you praise, Lord, because you are risen indeed. And we just say that we have, we've been all over the, we've been a mess this year, and it's been a hard one. And we need to meet you again and have you say, what's up? Let's start again at the fresh start place where you can ask your questions and rebuild what was broken and all the while know that I'm for you, I'm with you, I've got this. I've taken the best that the world can throw on you and I've rolled it away and I'm sitting on it like a throne. And I have the keys to death and Hades. And so we commit to follow you, Lord. And today to celebrate. Because you are the risen king. And you are ours and we are yours. For every kid who sat in here today, I thank you for their hearts. They're awesome. And they made it. <laughs> thank you for the beauty of the resurrection. Help us be Easter people. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.